Welcome to the fourth episode of the Gin Divide podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Grace. All right. So we're going to kick off our fourth episode. Tonight's episode is all about uh, the ESPN documentary, The Last Dance, which is documenting the final season of the 1990s Bulls teams that won six championships in eight years. Uh, Grace and I watched all 10 episodes, right, Grace? We did. We yeah. did. Some more than once. Some more than once? Yeah. You're going to be super prepared. Yeah, get the review. Yeah. So, uh, basically, just in short, I think everyone in the world knows about this. With the absence of sports due to the uh, pandemic that we're currently going through, this was kind of the release uh, that helped people fill that void in their lives. So, uh, it was on ESPN. It spanned over five weeks. They bumped it up in terms of release date so that they could help fill this void for people and provide some entertainment on ESPN. And uh, it was two episodes every Sunday night for five weeks, total of 10 episodes. And we are going to approach this from the Gin Divide uh, in terms of thoughts on it uh, as far as a full review and thoughts on the basketball and Jordan and everything like that. That's for uh, a different podcast to look at. What we're going to look at this, though, is through the lens of a uh, 16-year-old that did not live through Jordan's time. Mm-mm, no nostalgia for me. No so nostalgia. So just looking at it. And uh, as well as through the lens of her 43-year-old father who did live through it and was a teenager during those years um, and uh, has a very vivid memory of everything related to that. So let's jump right into it. Grace, um, tell me, the first question I wanted to ask you is, what did you know about Michael Jordan prior to watching any of this? I knew that he had the shoes and that he was a really good basketball player. And it's probably about it. It's about it. Um, did you know Chicago Bulls? If I would have I asked did. you who did Michael Jordan play for, Bulls would have been right? Yeah, I probably could. Okay. All right, so pretty high-level understanding, uh, but nonetheless, I think you hit all the big ones. Great basketball player, shoes, bulls, that's probably – I'm sure there's other stuff people can nitpick you on there, but yeah. that hits all of it pretty well. Um, and what um, what was the most surprising thing to you from from The Last Dance? Like, what was the thing that you learned and thought, wow? Well – Actually, speaking of what did I learn, it's kind of, I'm ta- taking your question in a different way. Okay. But while I was watching this, I was thinking, oh, wow, yeah, he's such a good player. What can I take from this documentary so I'm not just leaving with just these stories about this team that I didn't really have that much interest in? So I was thinking about how he was motivated and how competitive he was. So does this prove that the best motivating forces – is it the desire to win or the fear of losing? And I think he was more, he wanted to beat everyone else. He wanted to be the best. So it was more of a desire to win for him. Do you think it's just like person to person on that or that's be- a better motivating factor? No, I think this opens up a great subject. I think it's person to person, personally. Um, I, you know, and I kind of thought that same thing. One of the things I thought was so interesting about this, and I knew he kind of was like this, but all the examples in the last dance of Michael Jordan 
nearly making something up. Like there's the story yeah. of uh, George Carl, who is the uh, head coach of the Seattle Supersonics. And they were at a restaurant, and I guess Michael expected him to come over and say hi, and George Carl walked out. And Michael <laughs> said, I see how it's going to be. And then he looked at the camera, and he said he made it personal. And I was <laughs> like, what? I mean, I, I, I get it. But then there's story after yeah. story after story on the documentary. And it's really interesting in my mind just the idea of how he kind of self-motivated you know uh, I think there were definitely times too where he was you know people fueled the fire right they talked about mm -hmm. that a lot like uh, and, and there were several examples of that as well but the number of times where he just flat made up his motivation and then somehow <laughs> not just fueled the fire but you know dumped gasoline all <laughs> over the fire to where the point of he just like blows up and becomes oh, a gosh. superman basketball player yeah what do you think on that is it is it is it uh you know the fear of losing or the desire to win or different from person to person i guess it's different from person to person because i know i've heard I think you told me about this baseball team once in history that you watched and they were like, they were more afraid of losing, I guess, or they hated losing more than they liked winning, I think were the words you used. So I guess it is kind of person to person. I think maybe wanting to win works better yeah. because if you're just driven by like, oh, if I lose, then... I don't know. That just builds resentment in what you're doing, probably. So yeah, I think when you're self-motivating, anytime it's fear-driven, it's not good because, uh, especially in something that requires so much focus. So for you, being a, a, a golfer, uh, think about you know approaching a 15-foot putt with mm -hmm. all you're thinking about is that you're going to push it right or pull it left or hit it too hard or too short. All those things running through your mind rather than that clear, focused mindset of, I'm going to make this, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I want to make this. And I think there was at one point when someone else was talking about Jordan in the documentary and said how he kind of has that ability to always be present, and he's not, and he even said something to the effect of, why think about the shot you're going to take in two minutes? You know, I'll, he mm -hmm. deals with that when he gets to it. Uh, and I think there's something to that for sure. And I don't think that that's something that's natural for everybody. Uh, and I don't know if that's something that was just in him uh, and kind of the way he was wired, or if that is something he learned early on, maybe from a, a Dean Smith at North Carolina or, or whoever, that uh, kind of helped him. I mean, obviously, his coach for uh, the majority of his pro career, Phil Jackson in Chicago, I think kind of promoted that mindset for sure. Mm -hmm. So what else? What other takeaways do you have? That was a really good one. Um, I guess I, I really liked his leadership with the team. Yeah. Um. I guess I could see where it was. It would get kind of upsetting and annoying to be his teammate, but at the same time, I think it's it's important to have someone like that. Sure, sure, someone that can kind of drive uh, and push. Now, one thing I would say is interesting. What motivated him 
But I kind of wonder, in his way of leading, did he motivate by fear sometimes? Did he get into people's heads so bad that they had the fear of having to deal with the wrath of Michael the next day in practice if they yeah. didn't do something the right way? Um, and, and there's such a thin line between being motivated by, you know, fear of fa- failure versus desire to win. I know right? It it's is. such it's a hard thin line. It's it's you. Could, there's definitely could be both. But I think, you know, thinking about it in terms of a shot or a putt or a throw or whatever the case is, is kind of what's in your head in those fleeting moments right before you do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say the majority of great athletes are not operating with the fear of failure. You know, I mean, they've got to yes. have so much confidence and belief in their abilities. So, and Jordan was kind of the the pinnacle of that probably in terms of his ability to um, his ability to, to just perform at such a high level with all eyes on him. And there's several times in there as well, where he kind of calls his shot and says, we're going to win this game or we're going to win this series or whatever. So um, a couple things I I had kind of had on this that I wanted to ask you about is the difference in time. So this, of course, the last dance, uh, really this whole thing kind of spans from mid-80s to mid to late-90s. I guess you'd call it late-90s. Mm-hmm. So the majority of that happening probably in the 90s when they won their six championships. What were some things that you think – I mean, do you think this, that, that works now? Uh, when you look at how this, this turned out, one of the things I really thought is these guys were an age of no social media, pretty much no or limited cell phones. Uh, and with that, I kind of wonder, is a guy like Jordan so covered because of social media and the impact media has on our, our lives and how we perceive athletes that this six championships in eight years doesn't even happen? Mm. I mean, no, I don't. You don't think? Don't, don't and think and that, no, I think I think you're you're probably right on that. But the so let me give you the example. Okay. All right. Yeah. Do you remember the series when they were playing the New York Knicks? They went to New York and they lost. I think the first two games, or maybe they lost two at home or something like that. But anyways, they were in New York and he needed to blow off steam, so he went to Atlantic City to the casino. And yes. stayed out, and they had to play the I next do. day, right? And yes. then he does the interview with sunglasses on with Ahmad Rashad the next day <laughs> or two days later or whatever. But, and I'm probably getting the time frame and, and locations and stuff mixed up there. But think about how that goes now. How many people get his picture or video of Jordan in the casino that night, and it's all over Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, everything, right? Yeah, that's... That would definitely be a big difference, yeah. probably. But he would probably adapt, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the things I took away from this is I really gave a lot of thought to to that. You know, does Jordan's approach work now? Because we're in much mm-hmm. more, you know, we're in a different time now for sure, especially when you look at kind of NBA and competition, I think, in that in the uh, 90s, it was probably a little bit more – it was definitely a little rougher. Uh, I think some things could be hidden 
probably easier, probably the way Jordan treated teammates, the way he motivated could probably be done a little bit differently. Um, but nonetheless, I think he would have just adapted. And I think the same argument could be made for athletes today, right? The ones that do mm-hmm. live under this constant spotlight or in the case of, you know, one of the things you hear a lot from this, and I'm sure you got some of this, is kind of the Jordan versus LeBron argument as the greatest of all time. Yeah. And I think it's a silly argument. They're, they're both great. Obviously, Jordan's got more championships, and that's what it's all about. Uh, and if you're going to really say it that way, then there's other players that have any, even more championships than Jordan. But the, um, the thing, you know, you hear LeBron wouldn't survive – back in the 90s because it was way too physical. Remember how that the Detroit Pistons, basically every time Jordan drove to the lane, what'd they do? Knocked him down. Knocked him down, put him on the ground. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. They have, they kind of, t- that's all toned down. Not nearly as mm-hmm. much contact, physicality in today's NBA game, but I find it hard to believe that a great athlete's not just going to adjust and adapt to the game that's yeah. in front of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? All right, so what about – the other thing I really think that was interesting and this documentary did a great job of is the impact of Jordan and the Bulls on pop culture. What were your thoughts on that? Um, I was was finding it pretty interesting that he was, like, such a big deal all all over and just his effect on everyone, which I I guess athletes have that now, but I think it's probably a little different. I think that um, I think you're right, and we're trying to do it. Daisy, our uh, nine pound or smaller or slightly larger dog, is in the room and she's snoring. And hopefully, can you hear? It on I can. I don't know if you can hear it or not, but if you get a chance, kick her maybe slightly. No. Just a little jostle with your foot would do. Okay. All right. So, um, no, you're exactly right. And I think that Jordan was the beginning of that. I won't say Mm -hmm. he was the first athlete, professional athlete to kind of reach that, that pop star level, uh, and impacting culture because there were probably others like that, but Jordan was, did it in such a big way. I mean, it was worldwide. And I mean, that, that documentary did a really good job of demonstrating that. Because I think he was the first athlete and kind of opened the door for athletes to really have an impact on pop culture. Who would you say modern day is the biggest athlete in terms of, you know, Mm. that they could also be dubbed a pop star? Jeez. I have no idea. Um, Is it is it Peyton Manning who does all those commercials? Yeah. Who does does like the. It's some insurance. I don't know which one. But I don't know. I don't think any athletes have that big of a reach as maybe Jordan did. No, because no. maybe his spot was taken by more like, what's the word? Maybe traditional pop stars like singers and actors. Yeah. Because there's more coverage of that now. I think there's some of that. I also think that uh, it's probably spread out. Whereas maybe then the distance from Jordan at the top of the pop culture, sports pop culture pyramid and the next guy down or several guys down was a lot larger. And now I think there's several of them that elevate. And I think social media is the reason they can kind of make their own brand and put their own image out there. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and athletes are so active on social media now. It's almost like they're being raised in this time. It's just like it's second nature for them to at any moment uh, come on. And I think it's very genuine with the majority of them. I mean, you're, I think with a yeah. lot of them, you truly are seeing right into, uh, into their lives. So um, the other aspect I kind of wanted to ask you about on uh, in regards to the last dance is is just like what what did you I guess it's kind of going back to the learn and take away but what would you take away from Jordan's approach that you could apply to 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 competition you know you you so you run cross country and you play golf in high school uh, is there anything you took away from Jordan that you think I could apply this to how I approach mm Thinking about it like that, I would probably dilute his thinking a little bit because that could be a little dangerous, especially on, like, a smaller scale, I think. I don't want to be, you know, yelling at my teammates. But I guess cross-country and golf are different from basketball in that way where it's it's you're, you're a team, but it's very individual-driven. Like, there's no – you don't interact. You're not relying really. on each other, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, although, I mean, with cross country, you is definitely got some more than golf. I mean, mm-hmm. golf, you're the only kid from your school at every hole. You know what I mean? It's usually yeah. you paired with two or three other girls from different schools. It truly is like an individualized performance. Mm-hmm. And then the it impacts, though, the team score and everything's done by team for the most part, right? Yes. Whereas cross country, there is a little bit, though. Right. And I know Mm -hmm. I always ask you about this because this is fascinating to me. But in cross country, like it feels like there should be like some boxing out every once in a while. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But like like there is, you know, definitely a a, a physicality to cross country Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe more of that kind of competitive. yeah. Yeah. During practice, I think cross country with that is really important. To be competitive, I guess. Not super competitive, obviously, but I don't know. You want to beat your teammates at every possible turn. And then if you're doing that, then everyone else should just kind of come. All the other teams, you should just kind of. Exactly. You you can beat them. But with basketball, I think that's a dangerous way to think. Thinking like, I'm going to do better than... I'm going to do better than Pippin today. That's pro- I don't know. I don't know. I think it's the exact same thing, though. But they if, if, they play different roles on the team, though. They do. Like, but in the end, it doesn't matter. And Pippin's a good example in that Pippin was a lot of times asked to defend the best player on the other team or whatever. Uh, or even if he wasn't and Jordan was, Jordan fouls out. I mean, I think it goes back to the idea of if you don't go hard in everything you're doing – you're not making the people around you better, you know? So like if you're running cross country and it's just a warm up two mile or not even warm up, just say it's practice two miles go. I mean, you letting up gives the people in front of you maybe a false sense of security to where they let up. And the people behind you may look and say, well, I usually am behind grace anyways or whatever. So I'm going to let it. Does that make sense? Versus yes. if you did push. Now, I think there's definitely one way to do it in an up- uplifting manner. And there's another where it might be like, you know, 
you do, uh, you know, go really hard when someone else doesn't and you beat them or whatever the case might be. And it's kind of like you insult them rather than try and lift them up. That would be the negative way to do it. But what about in preparation? Mm. Not much. I don't, I think it'd be very hard for me to just make something up that someone else did like he did or with the way he seemed to always be practicing and doing something. Oh, like, remember when he was doing that, the Space Jams movie? Is that what it was called? Yeah. And they gave him a court, and then he, so he was, like, filming, and then he was just practicing. Yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting. I mean, because he was, you know, he even talked about how he was watching all these guys that he was going to be competing against and getting another glimpse of how they do things, how they operate, what, you know, what gets under their skin, what works, what doesn't. I mean, I feel like he was such a mental, uh, he excelled so much at the mental game. You know what I mean? That he knew how to push his teammates while still keeping them close for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also how to identify ways to beat his, oppo- his opponents mentally rather than just uh, physically and with play on the court. I thought that was a really interesting one. And the thing I think about with preparation, too, is probably about the basketball. uh, I'm sorry, baseball time and how he was the first one into the batting cages in the morning. He was the last one to leave at night. He would would hit after games, before games. He talked about how his hands had basically been rubbed raw by Mm -hmm. holding a bat and swinging a bat. And – um, I, I don't know. It seems really hard to believe that, you know, there were a few people that alluded to the fact that he would have made it to the major leagues if he would have stuck with baseball. Uh, that's really hard to say, um, you know, in hindsight. But nonetheless, you knew he was going to be a guy that just killed himself trying. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was such a driven um, guy that I thought it was – it was quite possible, whereas for just about anyone else in this world to start baseball at the age of 30 or 31 or whatever he was, having not really played any type of competitive baseball since <laughs> high school, yeah. it was not going to happen for anyone else. What else? Anything else on, on uh, the last dance? Mm, well, I do have one little note okay. about Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Okay, when you look at him and like while they were talking about him, does, does when you look at him, do you does he kind of remind you of Pete Davidson? You know who that is? Yes, I love Pete Davidson. Okay. Yes, he definitely does. I think All there right. is something okay. <laughs> just in how they look. Yeah, how they look. I guess kind of a little act. Too, how, crazy. Yeah, how I see them both. It's a little similar. Yeah. Over the top, maybe. Yeah. Anything for a reaction, you know, I, I could see that yes. pretty similar. I, and I really, I don't love Pete Davis. I don't know him nearly as much. I just know Dylan hates him for really? some reason. Yeah. I don't really? know. I don't know why. Hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> I Me mean either. All right. So, um, I think that covers just about everything for us on, right. on the last dance. Uh, a couple things we did want to remind everyone on the next episode, we will be covering the two albums that we mentioned in last week's episode that we are reviewing. I am listening to NF's The Search. 
And I'm listening to 1984 by Van Halen. And I, so we're about a week into that. I definitely think the move to two weeks is going to help a lot. I will say uh, I've been listening to NF a lot, uh, whether it be uh, on the way to and from work or or whatever. I've even played it at the gym this morning in both classes. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I like it like so it far. I, I don't know. I don't know that anyone even catches it. I honestly think, and you know, if anyone out there is giving NF a try for the first time and is familiar with rap, um, it's hard. I mean, it just feels like a descendant of Eminem kind of, if not mm, Eminem, and especially that. in that atmosphere where people may not be really, really listening, listening, but just hearing it as background noise. Yeah. I do wonder if people probably just think it's Eminem or, or someone <laughs> like that. Um, the other thing we're going to talk about next week is school. Uh, this right as summer rolls around. Yeah. Right. When su- summer rolls around, this has been a very weird ending to the school year, Grace. And, um, we are going to just kind of cover, I think just the difference from, you know, school when I was a kid in school now, if that works for you, this weekend is Bridgeport's graduation. So it kind of just feels like a good topic and I'm sure we'll kind of touch again on, we did one on coronavirus and the impact of this pandemic, but well, I'm sure that's going to come up in that one as well. So a couple uh, uh, good topics for next week. We may try and make that one episode or two episodes. I'm not sure. Grace, how long do you think we've been podcasting? Uh, this one felt felt shorter. It was I'm shorter. I'm going to say 30 minutes. 25 minutes right now. Oh, I've never been right. Nope. So once again, we want to thank everybody <laughs> for listening uh, to the podcast. Again, you can reach out to us anytime via email, gendividepodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Make sure you uh, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a review. We're always looking for feedback. Uh, but until next week, want to thank everybody for tuning in. See ya.